Welcome to StoryWise, the podcast designed to give you the in-depth story behind some of our top storytellers as a way to inform, motivate, and inspire you to believe that you too can make your dreams a reality. My name is Jen Grisanti. I am the story consultant at Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc., a writer's consultancy designed to help you accomplish your writing goals and reach your career destination through one-on-one consults, seminars, and teleseminars. And I am absolutely so excited to have with me as my guest today, one of the co-writers, Eric Hober of the hit film Red that just was nominated for a Golden Globe. Let me tell you a little bit about Eric Hober and John Hober. Brothers Eric and John have worked as screenwriters in Hollywood for the last 12 years. Their films include action comedy extravaganza Red, starring Bruce Willis, Morgan Freeman, Helen Mirren, and John Malkovich. The comedic thriller and Sundance favor Favorite, Montana, starring Kara Sedgwick and Stanley Tucci and Philip Seymour Hoffman. And the forthcoming naval action adventure, Battleship, directed by Peter Berg. Currently, Eric and John are in production on the thriller Man on a Ledge for Summit Entertainment with Sam Worthington, starring in the title role. They're also wrapping up work on an original comic book series, The Mission, a psychological horror thriller to be published by Image Comics early next year. Eric and John have a special working relationship. They can't stand each other. Fueled by early childhood (laughs) grudges, their mutual contempt and constant petty bickering generate a crucible of creativity in which their best ideas are purified. (laughs) I love that. That's great. Thank you, Jen. It's really yes. fun to be here. Very creative bio. So this is an incredible time for you. You just recently, both of you were nominated for a Golden Globe for your work on Red. How How is that experience? Been? It's incredibly exciting. I got a phone call at 5 o'clock in the morning a couple of days ago. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I could only think that somebody had died because I could only hear screaming on the other end of the phone. So. Wow. That was kind of great. And who was it that called you? Was it your producer? Actually, well, no, it was my brother. <laughs> the only reason he, like, he would have just as soon slept through it, and so would I. But, right. you know, somebody, of course, from the East Coast called him at five, and so he felt, you know, compelled Obligated to, to call you. Call me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a joyous call. We like that. That's a good 5 a.m. call. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it was sort of a bolt from the blue, because it's not exactly the kind of movie that, you know, is traditionally an awards sort of movie. I have to admit, it's wild. I loved the movie. I went and saw the movie. And I got to be honest with you, typically it would not be the type of movie that I would love, but I loved it. I was, I loved it. I thought well, it was great. Well, we sort of joke that this is like the one kind of action movie that our parents would probably go to see. Yeah. Even if they weren't our parents. Right. So, you know, it's, it's definitely a little bit more of a something for everybody kind of action Well, film. and I think, you know, the universal thing that, re- that I really connected with was uh, the hook of CIA agents – uh, retired CIA agents wanting to have their last hurrah or wanting to go back to their glory days and relive what was in some fashion. Like, that that was incredible. I'm, tell me about how you guys came up with this idea, what inspired it. Tell me about well, this. Well, this movie was originally, we got the idea from a graphic novel, uh-huh. uh, which we sort of got the rights to, a graphic novel of the same name called Red, uh, which we got the rights to about five years ago. 
Why don't you explain what red means again? Well, in the in the graphic novel, it it was simply a code word, and it was actually a little bit of a discussion. We that that what 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 it meant in the graphic novel didn't really work in the movie, and we had sort of always assumed that the title was going to be changed. Right. And then you know we sort of found ourselves in pre production on this movie. And we thought, well, you know, and, and the studio said, well, we actually really like the title Red. And so we thought, well, if it's going to be called Red, we better have it actually mean something really right. good. Right. So I can't remember. One of us came up with Retired Extremely Dangerous, uh, which, you know, is, I loved fits that, the film. Though. Yeah. And the fact that we got to put it in Ernie Borgnine's mouth made it kind of even better. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, we got him at the last minute. And so, of course, you know, I mean, what a catch. So we beefed up that part and made it a little gem. Because you know he's obviously wonderful. Oh, the whole cast! Um, My God, that we—I de- definitely want to go into who came on first, how all that came to be. Right. So we essentially, so we we, we sold this. Uh, we 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 brought on uh, producer Lorenzo de Bonaventura and Mark Verodian uh, to produce this film, and we sold it to Summit, which is sort Huge. of a mini major yes. studio now that is best known probably for the Twilight franchise, but. Uh-huh. They're making a lot of movies. Yeah. Uh, and they're really lovely people to work with. Oh, that's great. Um, and so in making the film, we had to expand it quite a bit. Uh, the graphic novel is just sort of a jumping off point, really. The part we took is the notion that there's this old retired CIA guy who's very dangerous, who kind of is lost now that he's retired. He doesn't really know what to do with himself. And he's kind of you know living in this house, sort of trying to pretend – Trying, sort of pretending to be normal, even though he's not normal, and even though he has no real human contact that's meaningful, and the fact that he's got this sort of the only relationship in his life is this sort of lame fantasy telephone relationship he's got with this girl who he may never meet. Um, that was great. And we sort of thought that you know, if nothing ever happened, if no one ever, if if that was the end of the story, he'd probably go out of his head sooner or later and just kill himself. But you know, fortunately for him, sort of. Uh, three people come to to kill him, and so then he has to go on this mission to find out who and why and what. And that's sort of where we started adding material to right. the to the movie. And so we got to invent all of these different characters. We sort of we sort of thought, well, okay, if there's this one guy out there who's kind of you know maybe unexploded ordnance left over from the Cold War, maybe there's a lot of other really interesting, dangerous people who are just sort of hiding out there in the world. And so we just sort of took that idea. And started to create characters and character relationships that we loved. And I think part of it was, uh, you know, we, we, we sort of started from the premise that maybe all of these people, they may not have always been best friends, but they certainly know about each other. There right. are certain stories that, you know, have gone on between these people that we're never going to learn in the film. But they're, they're sort of, certainly going to sort of inform uh, all of these relationships. And so we sort of find out little bits about Which was what... great. Yeah, it was very clever that they didn't all – it's not like they were all part of one group that all got along. And there was these past that came out in the present that was great. Yeah, no, I mean yeah. they, 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 these people, you know, maybe the last time they saw each other, somebody tried to kill someone right. or, you know, which has, happens in a couple of cases. But, you know, as different as all these people are, you know, they have one thing in common, which is that, you know – they're sort of don't know what to do with themselves. Well, and their love for what they did. Right. And they're yeah. sort of searching. They're people yeah. who are searching for meaning in their yeah. lives. You know, they're people who, that, that's you know, great. who want to find meaning. And essentially, you know, what would be sort of a bad thing for many people 
actually sort of turns out to be a blessing, strangely, for this crowd because, you know, they get to sort of rediscover, you know, some of what they loved about the world and some of what, uh, you know, and maybe do some things that they could never have done when they were actually officially spies. Right. Um, you know, Bruce Willis, um, you know, when you start the movie, he's sort of a very damaged person. And, yeah. you know, part of his journey is sort of learning how to become a human being again. Yeah, you know? he, he did great. And it was great through the relationship. Yeah. Like, I loved the idea of, no, I, I kind of like her. How right. It was just kind of like, oh, we've got a CIA agent who actually really does like someone. And, and I liked I liked how you portrayed that. I thought that was amazing. What was the name of the actress that played the love interest? Uh, Mary Louise Parker. Oh, yeah. She plays the she lead on uh, Weeds. Yeah, and she's right. very comedic and really good actress. Yeah. I, I, I kept thinking somebody else's name, and Helen Mirren was amazing. Yeah. We actually... We actually wrote that part for Helen Mirren, wow. which we we never write with an actor in mind because, right. first of all, you almost never get the actor. Right. And secondly, you know, there's a danger of writing the really cliched version of it, you know, just that something that actor has done before. But, you know, I couldn't think of anybody except Helen Mirren. And, of course, she has played gangsters, you know, back in the day. Right. You know, everybody thinks – but we, we, we had just watched her in The Queen at the time we were writing it, and we thought, well – Maybe she'd like to do a little 180. Right. So, you know, obviously when she said yes to the movie, we were over the moon. It was, that kind, was of, m- kind of a thrill. So take me into the process. Like at what point in the process did it sell? So the script sold first and you – Well, we actually sold it on a treatment. Oh, great. Um, so we took it out as a pitch and right. we, we pitched it to uh, some of the ba- major studios. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was really a no-go with them. And I think the reason was – that it's not a high concept premise, you know, by the Hollywood thinking about high concept. Or another way of saying it is, you know, it's very what they would call execution dependent. Sure, it's got all these great characters and blah, 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 and, but, you know, it's not, you know, Transformers or whatever. Uh, so what's really going to make this go? And um, I think the thing that Summit saw in it that the others didn't was, you know, they started out in some ways as a foreign presale company, and they really know how to sell overseas, mm-hmm. uh, and they really know how to do foreign finance. And they sort of realized, well, actually, we could get all these great Academy Award-winning actors for a price and put them into this movie all in one movie, and you know, uh, it would be pretty hard to lose money, um, and maybe you could make a lot. And you know, uh, if it weren't for their business insight on that i don't know if we would have got this picture made oh my god what was can i ask what was the budget on the the budget was about 55 million i think it's it's complicated because of all the tax credits and whatnot but uh you know it's a lot of money and it's certainly a huge budget for summit yes although um for a budget with that many big people in it and with a 60-day shoot and all that it's how you know, is it done not- so far? I felt like it was at the theater so quick. I mean, I had to. I went to North Hollywood to see it. It was the only theater it was playing <laughs> around here, and I'm like, it just got a Golden Globe nomination. Well, no, I mean, we actually had very, very good legs. We oh, opened, good. We opened at 22 million, and we're almost at 90 now. Oh my gosh, that's fantastic! And uh, that's you know, great. we're still opening overseas, but I think we could make another 90 or more overseas. So oh. it's a big. It's a so big it's hit a huge for Summit. Hit. Yeah, no. yeah, it's a um, huge hit for Summit. That's I mean, great. You know, 
uh, we're already talking about a sequel. So. Oh, my God. I love that. Well, I could totally see it. I mean, the way it ended, <laughs> I was almost like, okay, there's a television series here. <laughs> I can see it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So, okay. So now, as far as the pressure of, say, with these actors, did... Was the script done when these actors were attached, yeah, or I mean, was the concept in play when these actors were told about it? No, I mean, we basically, uh, Summit bought it, and we had a really funny meeting with them where they basically said, guys, we really, really like this treatment, so don't screw it up. And that was <laughs> that was kind of their script note to us, and we were like, right. oh, okay, I guess we'll try not to screw it up. But I mean, we, obviously, that was a note we were happy to take. And we literally wrote one draft of this, um, and they went right off of that and oh started making gosh. offers to actors. Yeah. Well, I mean— You the, didn't have a studio giving extensive notes? They didn't give us any notes. Oh, my god. Well, I mean, the thing with us is the way we work. Right. We do pretty extensive and elaborate treatments, and okay. we, really like to, we really like to know what we're going to do. Um, and we put a lot of time into that stuff, and we, we think a lot about character, and we think a lot about tone, um, which is maybe one of the hardest things for communicate with, when you're dealing with you know studios and and, and money people, um, and and marketing, just to just to communicate you know what is this like, and sometimes yeah. and it's often hard, you know, especially if it's not quite like anything. It doesn't mean it's not going to be great. Right. I mean, we we sort of found ourselves comparing what we wanted to do to be more like Butch and Sundance than anything really recent, you know, and, and partially because that movie has, you know, great humor and great character, but it also actually has real stakes. Um, you know, they do actually die at the end, and this yeah. isn't quite that bleak, but... But no, there are real stakes But there in are this. stakes in yeah. it, you know, and things happen. Yeah, uh, they do. I, I loved that. There was a big moment at the end that I was like, wow, guns of glory here. That, that, yeah, that so, was a good call. Um, I'm not going to give it away, though. Okay. No spoiler alert. Hey. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? I don't even know. Um, I guess so. Because we do these detailed treatments, we, you know, we we usually tell you know the producers and directors and people we're working with, look, make sure you like this because we are going to deliver that. Um, and I you know, and if we can all agree yeah. on this, then we can make it happen relatively quickly. You know. There's certain things. And how that, quickly did you write the script? I'd say we wrote a first. Well, you know, we in our internal process, we always write a number of drafts. Um, I think we first gave it to the producers after about ten weeks, uh, and then we wrote. That's amazing. And then you know we got a few notes from the producers, right. and we wrote, uh, you know, two or three more passes. I'd say before we before you turned it in. To I'd the say studio. we took about four four months before we gave it to the studio. Wow. But we started with a very, very detailed, you know, material. Treatment. Like how how many pages was your treatment? Our treatments are usually our writing treatments are usually about um twelve to fifteen pages, single okay. spaced. Um, you know, with sort of a paragraph per scene saying here's what the scene is and you know, you know, here's what happens, and here we're, here's where we are emotionally. Mm. Sort of written like a story, right? I mean, you don't want to. The emotion is what really, really worked in this movie too, mixed with the, the yeah. professional part. So, yeah. So for us, I think um, you, you, there's no point in being more detailed than that because right. there's certain things you can only figure out in script. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But that's about as detailed as, as, as is worth going in our experience. And Although like, I know other people who do it differently. Right. And in that process, like when you first think of your concept, do you jump into what is the goal? What is the dilemma? What is What are the obstacles? What is the emotional through line? What... I think we always start with the characters in some way, shape, or form. Or you may, you may start with any idea, but the thing, the thing that you have to get before you know it's a movie, when I say you, I mean us, is you have to have some character insight or character conflict. You know, you see so many movies or so many people, you know, go down the road trying to write movies and they say they know everything that happens in the movie. And then they say, well, hey, let's just uh, throw some characters in. So we'll throw in the funny guy and the straight guy and, the, you know, and it's it's a recipe for failure. The mentor and the guardian threshold. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and the reason is, is because it lacks specificity. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying you can't get there that way. But, right. but you know, what is it about a character that is so specific that you kind of know what that guy will do in any circumstance? Mm-hmm. Um, and you take a character like Marvin from the movie. Okay, on one hand, that's a stock character. We all know, okay, there's a guy who lives in a bunker who's paranoid. Okay, great. We've seen that a thousand times. What is it about Marvin that is that is special, you know? And there are certain things that, that make him the kind of character where you kind of know what he would do because he's crazy in a very specific way and has a very certain outlook on the world. And he's a comedic character, but he doesn't know he's comedic. Um, you yeah. know, and you kind of love I him agree. for that. Yeah, I agree. Well, and I wondered, like, that was another thing that I thought with a cast like this, um, being able to write meaty roles for all of these stars, I mean, that had to have been a huge challenge. Well, I mean, it's very structural. I mean, if you look at the movie structurally, it's kind of like the movie has – the movie basically consists of eight character introductions mm-hmm. and four action sequences. You know, and the character introductions are all the sort of character fun scenes because every, you know, you go somewhere, you meet someone new. They're not quite who you expect. um, And then they sort of join the team and you go on. Um, But you really you really can't sort of, you know, the meeting of the characters becomes in this picture the substance of the movie, um, which is not a normal structure. But uh, I mean, it's a normal structure in terms of, you know, three acts and all that. But. But, uh, you know, you really can't, you know, just do it quickly because the, the whole point of making this movie is who are these people, you know, what is and their, why do we care? What is their yeah. view on the world, yeah. you know, and what's at stake for them? And, mm-hmm. you know, every, every introduction, you know, we learn what's at stake for each, each of these people. Right. So it's almost like they're co-protagonists. I mean— No, they—I mean, in a way, yeah. I mean, yeah. Bruce is clearly the main protagonist, but it's almost like at a point they all have their own— uh, goal and direction that they're moving towards in doing this, you right. know, and clearly it's it's behind Bruce. But I, you did that so well, where I was like, wow, these arcs are fantastic. No, I mean we love, you know, we love all the all the even the small roles in that mm-hmm. are, are fun. I mean the fact, you know, like Brian Cox and the little turn he did, you know, he's only got two or three big scenes in the movie, but right. but they're fun scenes. Yeah, you know? they are. You know, no, he's, yeah. he's, he's definitely, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, it's obviously and Julian McMahon playing the vice president. Oh my I love god, that. yeah! I kept looking for him. I was like, Go, <laughs> that's great. All right. No, I mean, I mean, I mean, to get somebody who's that accomplished in, in like a little turn like that was, you know, that was good. Well, you know, but it's it must be fun for him because yes. you know he comes to set, you know, and he gets to do a scene with you yeah. know, all these cool people. Yeah, no, that's I mean, I great. I can tell you, it was fun for us. When you started, Brad. Um, okay, so you turn the script in. Then from the moment you turn the script in till the moment the movie is released, what what 
type of time is that? It was about two years. So we turned the script in in November um, of, must have been 2008. And then we started casting. And casting, you know, in this case is, is, is a slow process because you need um, people who are saleable enough to anchor the movie. Mm-hmm. And so the first thing the studio does is to try to get, you know, the people who will sort of guarantee the movie uh, in terms of the numbers that they can produce. So, uh, so we go out to Bruce Willis. You know, and that takes, you know. You got him first. We got him first. Yeah, good. And, and, you know, Bruce is interested, but, you know, we have to figure out schedule. It takes a little while to do the deal and blah, blah, blah. Uh, And then about the same time or shortly thereafter, we got Morgan. Great. And so those were our two, you know, anchors that were going to sort of sell the movie. Then everybody else came because of that. Right. And then then once we got those two, um, only then did we hire the director. Um. And tell uh, me about the director. Director is Robert Schwenke, mm-hmm. uh, who's a fantastic director. He's yeah, done he a number great. of films, uh, including Flight Plan and uh, Tattoo, and uh, most recently The Time Traveler's Wife. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, and uh, anyway, he's a, he's, a real, he's a real pro. You know, there's a lot of crazy directors in Hollywood, and he's a real craftsman, uh, you know, a real traditionalist, sort of in the you know, in the European craft sense of it. You know, he, we, we, we bonded with him right away because we both, you know, love movies. Uh, and, you know, we can, say, we can talk about the same, you know, obscure noir films from the 40s. And, you know, we have that shorthand. And it, so it was great. Um, you know, it's always a little bit stressful when you meet, you know, someone who's going to direct your material because, you know, this is my material and I've been working on it for two years or more. Okay, now somebody else is coming on, um, but you know we 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 found that we could work together pretty quickly, and uh, it turned out to be a great relationship. That's fantastic because you know I mean typically the feature writer is known not to have a lot of control, but the fact first of all let's give you kudos for the fact that you weren't rewritten that you that your first draft that you gave to Summit pretty much was what was shot. I mean that's huge. That's no, it's huge. It's, 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 a, it's a huge break and and. You know, also credit to the producers on this, uh, mm-hmm. Lorenzo de Bonaventura and Mark Verodian, um, who, you know, kept us on throughout the entire process and let us be involved in the entire process through, you know, casting and, um, you know, even hiring the director and, and whatnot. I had a great uh, professional experience where I got to call up another screenwriter who'd worked with this director, you know, a very... Uh, a very uh, accomplished screenwriter named Bruce Joel Rubin, who's right. written Ghost and of course. you know any number of famous movies. Uh, That's exciting. And, and asked Bruce, who I'd never met before, but I got his name from an, you know another writer we knew in common, and uh-huh. uh, say, "Hey, Bruce, what do you think about about hiring this director?" And he said, "Well, yeah, I, I had a great experience with him. I'd hire him." Uh, but, but that was a, that yeah. was a, that was a nice yeah. sort of professional moment for yeah, me. Yeah, that's a very nice um, moment when you're like, "Oh, look at who I'm calling." Yeah, yeah. no, I mean, I mean, this is a guy who's written, you know, so yeah. many so many great movies. Anyway, so uh, you know, because of that, you know, we were given a lot of access. And do you know what I wonder if part of this is stemming from? And I certainly hope that it is in the feature world when we know when we learned on the Hurt Locker that. Um, that she, the director, Catherine, gave Mark Bull so much license creatively by having him on the set and being a part of the filmmaking. I wonder if that did 
pave the way for other people to recognize the benefit of the writer, the feature writer actually being a little bit bigger part of the creative process. What do you think? Well, I think the best people in the business know that and, and use that. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are a number of reasons why people don't, um, but they mostly have to do with ego and fear. You know, people, you know, they're, they're actually directors in Hollywood who fear that the writer will somehow undermine them or somehow will take away from them, you know, or they're so obsessed with, you know, perpetuating the cult of the director. You know, the director doesn't need to create a cult. Directing is a very hard job and it requires a lot of talent. And, you know, no one pulls off a big movie just, uh, you know, just happens to, you know. A good script is not enough. No, I mean, the, the, the number of good yeah. scripts that get made into bad movies, yeah. um, you know, we don't, we all know how that goes. Um, but, uh, you know, what, what happens on set And vice versa. Yeah, no, yeah. it's true. Yeah. Well, but, but what happens on set a lot is, you know, you come into, you know, you're actually shooting something and, and things go wrong. You know, mm-hmm. uh, production is, is tough. You're dealing with a lot of big egos. You're dealing with a lot of big personalities. You're dealing with a tight schedule and a lot of money that's being spent very quickly, you know. And you know when a problem comes up uh, on set and they do every day, um, if you don't have the writer there to fix it, chances are it's going to get fixed by the first AD or by the UPM, who, who's somebody who says, "Okay, yeah. we're just going to do this." Right. Um, and often, you know, or, or if you have a budget problem, you know. Often these guys aren't thinking about the best way to solve it creatively. Mm-hmm. They're thinking, um, gee, maybe we could cut this scene as opposed to, well, actually, what if we kept this and we restaged it to the same location we're using here and we'll just do it this way and we'll shoot it on this day. You know, to have writers who are experienced in production, um, you know, who know how to, you know, contribute to the process without, you know, screwing up the process or getting in the way of the process – um, you know, there, there's a lot of ignorance on both sides, both on the writer side, you know, in terms of knowing uh, about production, knowing how to be helpful without being annoying. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a lot of ignorance on the production side, you know, being afraid of writers or or not really, um, you know, being, being afraid to use them uh, for any number of reasons. I know. I think, see, I, I think you tapped on the biggest thing, ego. Well, and, I and, think and, in this town, navigating the ego is probably one of the biggest journeys of this town. Yeah, I think, you know, everyone's concerned, of course, about, you know, writing a great screenplay. But what's what's also extremely important and maybe even more important is, you know, being a professional. You know, what, what what's it mean to be a pro in Hollywood? You know, how can you... You know, you want to pe- you want people to like you and want to work with you again, right? And, and, mean, and def- part of that is you know, how, how do you contribute you know the the best possible way you can to the project? You know, how, how how do you make yourself a problem solver instead of a problem creator? Right. You know, once they realize that, wow, actually, you know, having 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 the writer around is going to make my life a lot easier. Right. Um. You know, and some people you know realize that intuitively. Right. Um, like, you know, Robert on our movie or and some uh, and some people don't. And now as far as like oh, you mentioned being a writer with production background. So do you guys have production background? What tell me about 
your journey as writers. So this is, how many films have you had produced? I've had one, two, three out, and I've got two uh, forthcoming. Unbelievable. Yeah. That is so fantastic. And this has been a 12-year journey. So how many how many features would you say you've written total, you and your brother? How many from from day one when you started writing features? I'd say we've written about 25 features. That's good for people to know. Maybe more. And, and the first one and, that and, got and, attention in that process, what number was the that first That was one? our fourth. Oh, great. Um, so we've written about 25 features and maybe two or three pilots. So... Fantastic. And now, what about pilot-wise? What has your experience been with that? Well, I mean, we back uh, a number of years ago, we, we sold a couple of pilots. But at the time, I don't think we were really big enough or had a big enough profile in the business to have much of a chance of getting them picked up. Mm-hmm. We do plan to go back to TV because TV, TV is such a great – great uh, learning ground. Well, it's also yeah, great – it's also really. great – well, it, it's easier to be, to be a baby TV writer than to be a baby feature writer, you know, because, you know, in TV – you know, there's actually a structure where you can, you know, learn from people and have mentors and all this sort of, sort of stuff. In features, it's a lot harder because, you know, you are alone and mm-hmm. there is no one to help you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and most agents, you know, are not willing to do that or don't know or, you know, it, it, it's, it's not simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so that, that's a huge advantage of TV. You know, for us, we, we started in the business – 12 years ago, um, when we fir- were first out here, we worked a lot of production just to pay the rent. Um, you know, my brother worked as a grip and an electric and a location guy and an AD. I mean, we both did everything. I worked a lot of sound oh, and that's, that's, editor. And, that's outstanding for what you guys are doing now. You know, so it we, all means something. Yeah. So we, I mean, and we've, you know, we're, we're, we're experienced with production and budgeting and, you know, all these sort of skills. Um which weren't useful very much when I first started the business, but are very useful now because mm-hmm. now that we're, you know, making a lot of movies, um, you know, it really, you know, I think it's it's good to have that experience. It's, it's certainly helpful, helpful for us. And now what was film number four that you wrote that started the attention? It was a movie called Montana. Mm-hmm. Tell us uh, about this. It starred uh, Kira Sedgwick and Stanley Tucci and mm-hmm. some other people uh, – John Ritter had a great little part in it, oh, and uh, Phil Hoffman, and um, Robin Tunney, all of whom are still with us except for John. Um, but uh, yeah, so we, we wrote it um, just to make as a low-budget movie, and um, it was sort of the right thing at the right time. Got it what was f- the budget on that? It was between three and four million. Mm-hmm. Great. And uh, we shot it in New York City. How many days was the shoot? Let's see. It was a six-week shoot. I think mm-hmm. it was 30 days, mm-hmm. you know, which was pretty good. How many days was red? 60 days plus second unit, mm-hmm. um, which is maybe long for a movie like that. But when you have so many moving parts, the schedule can tend to get a little bit longer, um, you know, than if it's, you know, the same big-budget movie and, you know, without so much stuff blowing up in so many places. Yeah. You know, we should. <laughs> How is learning about that, like blowing up and explosions? Do you get people saying, "No, no, don't write that. We can't do that." <laughs> no, I mean, actually, it was funny. Is on red. It was sort of the opposite. Actually, we we didn't write it with all that much action. Mm-hmm. You know, our, our our mantra for the movie was, 
you know, this is a character movie. It is. And the action is yeah. extra. Yeah. Um, and the action actually got beefed up a little bit for production because the studio kind of was encouraging a little bit more, you know, wham, bam. So, you know, even during production, the whole, you know, for example, the whole big fight sequence in the CIA between, you know, Bruce and uh, Carl where they, you know, literally kicked the living hell out of each other, mm-hmm. you know, that that was only going to be shot in like, you know, a couple days. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, those guys ended up coming back off hours with the second unit for like four or five days. And just wailing on each other and, you know, throwing each other through windows. And, I mean, it was hilarious. Um, and, I mean, we, we were all terrified because, right. because they, you know, right. we, we, we had these two great stunt guys who, mm-hmm. were, you know, and Paul Jennings was our stunt coordinator. He's, you know, amazing pro and it was just great. But, you know, they wanted to do everything themselves and they were just killing, killing each other. But, but it's, it's there on film. I mean, they, they obviously had a terrific amount of time doing it. No, that's great. You know, we didn't uh, coordinate the, I mean, we didn't. We wrote a, a much shorter, lighter, you know, version of that fight, and uh, our amazing stunt coordinator um, turned it into turned it into a, you yeah. know, a, a beautiful sequence. See, that's the gift. No, you I get mean, to see everybody's different talents that that all come to put to get, put it all together. Takes a lot. Yeah, takes a lot Art. of talented people yes. to make a movie. It only takes a couple really awful people to screw it up. Yep, I so, agree. I know. agree. And yeah. na- and now, uh, how were the critics to your to read? Uh, mm-hmm. Mostly, mostly favorable. I mm-hmm. mean, we got you know great great reviews for the most part. A couple people thought it was a little bit you know a little bit too light, but mm-hmm. you know I think maybe with all those movie stars, they sort of expected uh, you know a little heavier fare. But uh, you know, I never take it all that much personally. Either way, because you know it's so well. The fact it's that out it's, of your hands. Yeah, I was gonna say it's doing well, and I think it actually for action films, the fact that it's more character driven, I think is going. I think they're going to be now. We're going to see other, and the fact that it got nominated, which most action films do not fall into the nomination category. So I actually think this is going to open doors for other people creatively. I hope know? so. I mean, yeah. there's so you know we have so many great talented actors who are with us and uh you know the fact that everyone's looking for the 35 year old yeah you know male uh and the fact that you showed no that it doesn't take a 35 year old to to make a hit i mean this is a movie that tested really high highest of all with women over 35 right and that never happens you know that's great so there you go (laughs) i loved it you're over 35 i know i'm just a little bit no All right, with that, we are going to take a break. We are here with Eric Hober, the co-writer for the hit movie Red. You're listening to StoryWise with entertainment consultant Jen Grisanti. StoryWise is a podcast designed to give you the story behind the people who tell stories, offering you insight on what it takes to work as a writer in television and film. Hear this and other podcasts on www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com a full-service writer consultancy committed to guiding your vision. We are back with Eric Hober, co-writer of the hit movie Red. Um, in this segment, I want to go into how it all began, how your career began. You mentioned your first movie, um, so I want to have a sense of of. Did you have an agent before your first movie? Did your first movie bring you an agent? How did all that transpire? Right. Well, you know, when we first got to town, we were sort of obsessed with getting an agent, which 
turned out to be a completely idiotic obsession. You know, everyone who comes to Hollywood is worried about how to get an agent. And the fact is, that's the last thing anyone needs to worry about. Um, I agree. Believe me, if you have, you know, if you have stuff that Hollywood wants to buy, every agent in town will want to represent you. And, you know, the fact is, um, you know, most people coming to Hollywood and trying to get an agent is sort of cover for the fact that they don't yet have anything Hollywood wants to buy. Uh, and that's a hard lesson. It was a hard lesson for me, and it's a hard lesson for a lot of people. But, you know, my advice is work on the writing. Don't work on the agent. The agent will find you. Um, in any case, we had sort of had a lame experience being hip-pocketed briefly by a guy at William Morris back in the day who was just trying to, you know, make a quick buck on us without representing us. But we, you know, so, so we had sort Explain of... Explain to everybody what uh, hip-pocketing hip is. Hip-pocketing is when, you know, a, a sort of sleazy agent will essentially say, oh, well, you know, I'll try to, like, se- I'll send your spec out, you know, and if it sells, you know, then I'll represent you. Um, so it's essentially them trying to make a buck without actually doing any work. It's sort of, you know, the, you know, the, you know, one day of my time, one year of your life um, school of agenting. Um, <laughs> so anybody who says that, you should, you know, tell to take a long walk off a short pier. Um, in any case... Um, so we we had sort of given up on agents for the moment. We were making this movie. We had production backgrounds. Uh, we wrote and produced this movie. A friend of ours directed. Another friend of ours also produced. And it was uh, fun. And we got into Sundance. And we opened the Sundance Film Festival. It was very exciting. Great. That's very – what was that like? Uh, oh, I mean, at the time it was like, you know, the biggest thrill in the world. But it was also very disconcerting because even at Sundance I had this feeling like – I was a complete outsider. Like this place is obsess- is is run by all these Hollywood people, and I'm like a sort of a, a thing, like a found object that they're kind of looking at to see if there's any money there. Um, but there wasn't, um, and so you know, the movie went to DVD and you know did fine, but you know, not no no big Sundance success story. And so we came back, you know, after working for two years on this movie, uh, and having made almost no money at all, wow. you know. Yeah, and um, this is the life of a feature, you know. And now, and now you're back, and now you're back to square zero, yeah. you know. Anyway, along the way of making this movie, um, we met a woman who was an assistant uh, to an agent who said, "I'm about to be an agent. I want to rep you, and you know, and I'm no one, but I really like your stuff." And you know, we had nothing else going on, and we said, "Okay, great." So uh, her name. Uh, her name is Angela Chang Kaplan, and Great. she's actually still our manager to this day. Great. Um, I love stories like this. Yep. That's great. And um, she, so she... She saw it from the beginning. She saw it from yeah. the beginning. She repped us. And so when we, we finished this movie, we started trying to pitch stuff and sell it to Hollywood. You know, back then, you could still actually sell a pitch, which today is very hard to do, even if you're, you know, an A-list writer. Um, and, um, you know, so we got our first, you know, after couple years of struggling we've got our first studio job um for which they paid us nothing and for which we wrote about a hundred drafts 
Um, but it was a job. We mm-hmm. learned, and you and know, you still didn't have an agent at this time. You just no, had no, the manager. No, no, she was our agent at that oh, point. Oh, she was an agent. Yeah, I then, thought then, you said then, she's your manager now. Yeah, she was our agent then, and then essentially, uh, who's your agent uh, now? Our agent now is a guy named Brian Besser at Verve. Great. Which is sort of a great. I guess you'd call it a boutique agency. Yeah. That, it's three guys who used to be at um, William Morris Endeavor. Oh, great. Which is one of the huge agencies, and then they split off this year. To form their little I've agency. Heard, yeah, this year. Yeah, wow. this year, and, and just in January, and they That's are uh, and they're killing it. They've got some great Major people. People, great. And I mean, but these three guys are hungry. Great. And That's they, who you want to be with. No, I mean, representation-wise, you want hunger. Well, you don't know. You know, it's like you know, you have a relationship with somebody. They're at yeah. this big agency. Everything's going great, and they say, "I'm going to break off." Well, what are you going to do? Well. There's only one thing to do. It's to go with that the person because you have a relationship with this person. Mm-hmm. You don't have a relationship with this big agency. Everybody's obsessed with being at a big agency. And there are certain advantages, but none of them mean diddle squat compared to somebody who you have who, a strong relationship with. Yeah. And you trust. And you have a shorthand with, yeah. you know. Yeah. In any case, so we, we, we worked in Hollywood for a number of years, mm-hmm. you know, as working writers, mm-hmm. um, not getting movies made. Um, you know, going up for the big movies and usually not getting them. You know, a lot of a lot of meetings, you know, where we'd pitch or try to sell the movie, and they'd be like, "Oh, yeah, I'm sure you're going to get it. It's just you and one other writer." Oh, great. Who's the other writer? Scott Frank. Oh, great. Um, I mean, there's a terror in Hollywood about hiring, you know, young writers or. Or maybe it's not even so much that. It's more of a terror of not hiring the double A-list writer. Right. Because if you hire the double A-list writer, you can always say, well, we hired Scott Frank. What else did you expect me to do? Mm -hmm. You know, they'd rather spend a million bucks, you know, to get that guy. Mm -hmm. You know, then they'd spend nothing to get you. Even though you want it more, you'd probably – okay, no, let me just say. Scott Frank is a real nice guy Mm -hmm. and he's a brilliant writer. Right. Um, But, you know, there's a lot of What are Scott Frank's credits, just so the audience Well, uh, he he wrote uh, Get Shorty Mm -hmm. um, famously, and I can't remember what his other credit. He did the. What was that movie recently? Anyway. Okay. um, He's an established writer. Well, at this point, he's he's sort of one of the biggest. He's sort of one of the biggest rewrite rewrite artists in town. Right. So he's the guy who comes in. He's the go-to guy at the last minute, and he does all the punch up and the fix it. So he doesn't get a lot of credits, but he works a A lot. lot. Right. Um, You know, and he's anyway. So suffice to say, um, we played the game for very, very long time without getting our movies made. And disappointment was a huge part of your journey before. Well, uh, you know, it's really, it's not so much disappointment. I'm sort of a pragmatist. I'm sort of a fatalist. Right. But there comes a moment at which you're thinking, wow, I've been doing this for a really long time. And, you know, I I, I, I don't seem to be going anywhere. You know, I'm making a living barely. How did you push through that? Well, I mean, I, I, it certainly wasn't easy. I mean, I think there there was a point at which we both said, "God, is this survivable?" Mm-hmm. And what else could we do? Mm-hmm. And in a way, we'd sort of been in it so long at that point mm-hmm. that I think we came to this, you know, this is realization that, wow, I don't have any other marketable skills. I'm gonna have to go like back to law school or something. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't, you know, and I, and I think so. There was no choice. 
No, well, 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 in a way, there was no choice. I mean, I think we... I mean, in a good way, meaning that you <laughs> choose your craft because there's no other choice because your craft is what makes you breathe. Right. And, and, and part, part of it is like, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to double down. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to work harder. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to quit resting in the laurels. I'm going to go crazy. Uh, what, what, what would what you I say was the trigger that suddenly here, here, things started here, happening? Well, here's what it was. At some point, we said, listen, we're working all the time and that's great, but we're not making any movies. And because we're not making any movies, we're not having any momentum in our career at all. Uh, and so we're not going to – it's very easy to just sort of chase every job. And what we said was we're not going to go after a job. We're not even going to try to get the job unless we can see how we might turn this into a movie on film within two years. If we can't see what the path to production is on this, we're not going to do it. And we stopped being writers and we started being producers. And we started treating everything like being a producer um, – you know, we started That's being, a great being, being being really yeah. jealous with our material, um, and and um, you know just playing the game from a different way, and taking sort of a sense of ownership, you know, that we'd been afraid to take before, and in a way, another way of saying it is, you know, we stopped. We we, we were good writers in terms of the craft of actually writing, but we weren't good professional writers in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. You know, we hadn't yet learned, I don't think, completely, um, you know. How to play the game. How to, how to, how to play the game, at least mm-hmm. not at the highest level. Right. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and now that you know, what tips would you give to other people who are finding the same hurdles or hitting the same walls? Well, you really have to own it. I mean, you have to, you have to be responsible for your own career. You know, it's not your agent. It's not anybody. Your agent plays a valuable role. But your agent doesn't get you work, you know. Your agent, when you get work, your agent is the guy who, you know, gets you a much better deal and, you know, holds their feet to the fire and, you know, does all these things that they do that are hard to describe but are very, very important. Right. But, you know. No, there's a tremendous purpose, but I think it's good that you brought up the point that you don't need an agent to get work. Work can come from a strong script. Yeah. And then the value of the agent increases as you go up the ladder. Yeah. Yeah. I mean if you if you're you know, your agent can you know, your agent can do a lot of things for you. They they can introduce you to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um you know, they can negotiate for they you. They negotiate well. <laughs> They're um, very good. All that stuff yeah. is, is important. And that's important. But but at the end of the day, um you know, what do you have to sell? You go into a room, you meet somebody. Uh, how do you persuade them that they'd be lucky to work with you? Mm-hmm. You know, and, That's and, a good point. And, and, and a big way to do that is to not need them. Right. Um, if Very you, good point. If you go into the room and and you need them, um, then you're you're already you've already lost if they can tell that because you're you're doomed. You know, if you if you've got ten things going on, and you go into a room. And say, yeah, I've got ten things going on, but I just thought I'd take this general. Then all of a sudden, they're thinking, "Wow, I, uh, why, are, why don't I? Why is it one of those ten things my thing?" Um, I mean, that's 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 kind of the that's kind of the end game. Um, 
you know, if you can have work coming to you rather than you going after work. Right. Um, I mean, that's the place to get but to. But it sounds like you hit like a light bulb moment. So I, I think that's great advice for writers. About too. three years ago, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was or four years. I mean, maybe about four years ago, yeah. we really started becoming producers more. Good for you and owning it. And you are the entrepreneur and you create your destiny and you make things happen. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. Um, I would like to go into mistakes that you've made along the way. Oh, I'm curious about like what you've learned it, from the beginning of your career to now. And like if you were to tell people these are things you shouldn't do. And and uh, what would some of those things be? Well, you know, I think people fail to own their own careers in the way they're supposed to, you know, early on. Um, what people don't realize is, look, you're a writer. If you write something, okay, if that thing is good, um, if that thing is something people want to buy – then if you send that something to an agent, you're doing that agent a favor. You're not asking that agent for anything. If you send that thing that some people want to buy to a producer, you're not doing that producer a favor. That pro- I mean, that producer isn't doing you a favor. You're doing that producer a favor because you have something of value that they can use to make more money. Um, you know, the sooner people realize that, the better off they're going to be for two reasons. One – you know, it'll just be better for your career in terms of the way you deal with the world in Hollywood. And also, you know, it'll make you be real serious about your writing. Um, you know, does my writing, you know, meet that criteria? Um, I always tell writers that I said, recognize if you have a strong script, there is a mutual benefit going on. So never look at it like you're asking someone a favor. So I totally agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's, I don't know, I guess that's, that's the main thing I would suggest. And, um... The other thing I would say, just to interrupt, is learn how to be a professional writer. Learn as much as you can about filmmaking, about all aspects of filmmaking. Don't think that it's enough to kind of be off, you know, not understanding the politics of the situation. You know, you gotta know who all everybody at the studio is. You gotta know who all the producers are. You got to do your homework before you meet anyone. You really, and this was never my problem per se, but you really need to. I see so many people who, who don't, uh, you know, apply that level of scrutiny to everything that they do. Um, because and with Google, you can research anybody in yeah, any studio. Get, get a subscription any, yeah. to IMDb Pro. Um, it'll tell you everything they've got in production or development or whatnot. There are other services out there as well. Um, you know, it's. TV Money well tracker spent. and TV. Exactly, yeah. yeah. They're, they're great T- tons of stuff. Yeah. There is no reason not to know. Yeah. Now, on the note of, say, meetings, when you think about the way you used to pitch versus how you pitch now, how what would you recommend in the pitch process? If someone gets a pitch on a feature film, what is some of the advice you have? Well, you know, pitching is its own special skill. And it takes most people a long time to learn how to do it well. And one of the best ways to learn how to do it well is to do it a lot. Um, you know, the more you do it, the more comfortable you get, the more you kind of understand what the process is. Everyone I know does it differently, you know. Uh, what is your process? Well, you know, my brother and I tend to actually have everything written out completely. And it's a performance. We deliver it and we trade off and we go fast and bang, bang, bang. You know, I've seen other guys do it who, you know, they, they, they kind of 
they don't use any paper at all, and they just kind of like make it look like they're telling a story. And they, you know, a lot of great TV showrunners do it like that, you know, and that's great too. Um, there's no wrong way to do it if it works, but you have to be really pragmatic about what you're doing. You have to get a lot of feedback. You have to be really critical. You have to run it for other people. Um, you have to run it, practice aloud a lot in the room. Well, especially with a partner. I mean, you bring, bring up a very good point. What is it like working with your brother as a partner? What What is, and like when you guys are pitching, how do you decide who pitches what? Well, I mean, literally we, we write everything out um, ahead of time. And then we literally write it in these paragraph chunks and we, we just divide it up. One, two, three, four, five. Um, and we just go down the page. Um, that works for us, uh, but you don't have to do it that way. You know, I know some people where one guy just does the whole thing, um, and obviously you have to do that if you're a solo writer. Yeah. Writer, of course, uh, as many people are, if not most. Um, you know, it does. You know, there are advantages to having a partner in pitching. You know, because you can always sort of, you know, one guy can get your back, and it kind of creates a little bit more space. Um, to keep I have them entertained. To admit, I love hearing writer teams pitch. Yeah, I it, do. There's there's something to it, but also it's, you know, I I I've heard surprisingly few other writers pitch. I, I'm not that worried about it because I, I've been doing it a long time and I know what works for me now. But you know, if I were starting out, I'd actually make more of an effort than I did at the time. You know, to hear what other people do. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a good point. Our yeah. agency sent somebody over the other day who's a you know, writer who sold a spec who then went on to do this pitch and completely flamed out. And so he came over to our office so we could teach him how to pitch for an hour. Oh, that's so great. We, so we sent him off with like four of our written pitches and we like ran half of one of them for him. And I could tell he was actually quite startled. Right. Because, because you know, there's nothing left to chance. I mean, we go in and we do, we do a show. Mm-hmm. Um, and w- one thing that's good about that is, at least for us, is if we're going to go pitch 10 studios – we prepare the show, we do the best version of the show we can, and we deliver the exact same thing ten times. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Or maybe just make the slightest tweaks. Right. And what's interesting about that is it gives you a real interesting benchmark uh, about what's you and what's them. Mm-hmm. Because you can do the same pitch ten times and you can get ten very different reactions. Everything from people laughing and you know having a great old time to people just staring at you. Like you're this thing that landed in their office, you know, <laughs> and what you kind of realize after a while is, you know, it has nothing to do with you. I mean, it has to do with you, but it has more to do with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of a freeing thing because you don't get totally caught up, caught in, up in what am I doing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's 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 like okay, it's a process. Mm-hmm. I'm learning something, and when the reactions are that different, you know, you you kind of learn to take everything with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, and then make the big adjustments later. But yeah. don't try to, you know, don't try to second guess everything because yeah. you cannot know. Yeah. You know, you go. But to, you learn. The more you do it, the yeah. more you learn. You see your growth. You're going to meet some guy. Yeah. And, you, and you don't know. You know, mm-hmm. maybe you meet in the head of a studio you've never met before. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe he's a grouch. Maybe right. he's, Maybe he's just like maybe that. Maybe he's had a bad day. Yeah, and, maybe his yeah. wife is leaving him. You know, yeah. maybe, uh, mm-hmm. you know, something else is going on. Or maybe he's just like that. Right. You know, I mean, yeah. I know some people. Maybe he fears for his own job. Yeah. You just don't, you don't know, know what's and I, going on. You know, I've sold pitches yeah. to people who, you know, were not friendly at all in mm-hmm. the room. Um, I would say the development experience is known for that. So I think now 
on that note, the development experience. Now, mm. how interesting, now that you have had this tremendous success in the feature world, and you mentioned that the pilot TV pilot world is something you definitely want to go back to. I would imagine, and I've often told writers, that a good way into uh, creating your own pilot is the feature world. If you've had a modicum of success in the feature world, that can translate into you getting a higher title if you create a pilot. What What is going on with you guys in that sense? Well, we're you know, we, we've created a couple pilots back in the day, but didn't have a lot of traction. Uh, we're going back to it now. Um, it's an exciting time in television right now. It's almost sort of a golden age of television because, you know, there's... Better than it ever has Yeah, been. I mean, yeah. I mean the, the quality of the writing that's getting put on TV with all of the cable stuff, there's diversity, you know, um, th- that never existed before. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some of your favorite shows? You know, I, I think Breaking Bad is like yeah. one of the... I mean... It's 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 kind of thin if you th- mm-hmm. think about it. That was so good. But I yeah. mean, I mean, you've got these characters and they're utterly compelling, you know. And I I I just I love the writing. I love the performances. It's it, but it's a writer's show. I mean, it's you know, I mean, it's a writer's medium. But yeah, it, it's a golden age of TV. You can do so much, and as a writer, you can have so much more control than you ever will get in features. That there's really no reason not to seriously think about you know, TV at some point if you're serious about writing. Um, believe you me, also get to see the fruit of your effort every week once the show gets produced, and that's huge, yeah, learning no, I mean, the, the, the fastest it ever happens in yeah. features is about two years from start to finish, and that's uncommon. It's usually more like five years or more, um, you know. That's got to be brutal. My second, that's going to be hardcore. My second movie that got made got made 10 years after I wrote the first draft. So, Unbelievable. you know, um, you know, and then after that, you know, and and that was rewritten by seven other writers before it got made. So, See, you know, it's good not for exactly people to hear this. Not That's, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Not exactly a friendly. Yeah. Um, situation. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. no, no, it's good to get movies made. Yeah. But, you know, 10 years later, after seven other people, it's not ideal. You know, it's not exactly, <laughs> you know, um, the dream situation. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's not all your dreams. But now. True. You, well, you cut to you turn in your first draft to the <laughs> studio that well yeah I mean part of it is you know you have to be really you have to be a great advocate for your own material mm-hmm. you have to take notes with a grain of salt I think people take notes much too seriously sometimes um, I agree with you you know you've got you know a lot of the people at studios especially the very junior CEs you know they tend to be these twenty something year old kids out of college you know and they may be extremely smart people. And they may be extremely nice people, but they're invariably going to be green as hell, you know. And their opinions ultimately don't matter to other people at the studio, um, by and large, you know. But they'll give you these notes, you know, and fine, you know, and you have to look at them. And but you don't really. Um, at the end of the day, you know, our rule is to be extremely pragmatic. But we don't do notes early on that we don't agree with. We will just not, you know. There's there's no or or that we. I wouldn't say go that far, but we won't do notes, period, if we think it hurts the script in any way. Because at the end of the day, no one will remember that there was some bad note. All they'll remember is there's a bad script with your name on it. And that script will have a life, you know, whether or not it gets made, that script will have a life. And people will read that script and they will, they will say, wow, that was a piece of shit script that, uh, you know, the Hober brothers wrote. And, and that will come back to haunt you. So it's always better to do the best work you're capable of doing, even if that means 
you know, having a little bit of a, you know, not, not, not doing everything. Now, now, that said, you know, there is a politics to the situation. There are also a lot of people who give great notes. There are a lot of people who give great notes. Um, and, and, and that, and, those are people with more experience. I think well, the jun- no, when you're talking junior level executives, they're learning too, just like you learned right. when you, you were a writer. Exactly, going you, up you, the you, ranks. and you have to take it with with, with a grain of salt. Um, there are people who are extremely competent, who give extremely thoughtful notes that you would have never thought of, and you know it's like a great excuse to how you know how to make your stuff better. Um, you know, it's always interesting when you write a first draft, no matter how good you think it is. You know, you it show can always be better. Yeah, you I show mean, it. Yeah. You show it to a couple people, and more importantly, you spend a week or two away from it, and you come back and you're like, "Wow, that, that sucks," and you make it better. It usually takes us at least three serious passes before right. it kind of clicks. Yeah, um, and part of it is just there's a lot of little bits that have to even if a script is well written on the first right. pass, there's a lot of little bits in sort of. Uh, things that sort of thread through that hell have to sort of fall into place. And yeah. it, it takes a certain number of passes going through it right. before that happens. Yeah. And one advantage of having a writing partner is that, you know, um, you get you, that feedback you get more to quickly. You off somebody. Yeah. I mean, he'll literally hand me a section of script and I'll mark it up and give it back to him the same day. Right. And so we kind of go back and forth really quickly. Yeah. But, you know, that's, but, do you but if what? you don't do that, it, it, if you don't have that, it certainly makes sense to find somebody who you trust. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, what about humor? Where who Who's better at humor, you or your brother, and how does that come into play? Like how – what has your experience, journey been with adding humor to your material? We've always written humorous scripts. or Our scripts have always had humor in them, even if they're not comedies, um, even if they're very dark. Mm-hmm. Or thrillers or whatnot. They're still funny things. And part of that is just our personalities, I think. Um, but part of it is also the, sort of the type of humor we do. We traditionally haven't done, you know, extremely broad, gaggy sort of stuff. Um, but we do have a lot of humor. And then the humor, come, you know, is not gaggy because it comes very much out of who people are. And they're sort of uh, organically organic comes, character yeah. humor. You know, mm-hmm. it's humor that comes out of two people who are fundamentally different sorts of people, and you just know that when they get together, you know, something, something bad is yeah. going to happen. You yeah. know, and that there's going to be a misunderstanding. And you're oh gonna love yes, that. you had lots of that in Red. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I mean, I mean, Red was was you know, it was a lot funnier than we ever imagined. We mm-hmm. we never really saw it as a comedy when we were writing mm-hmm. it, and now everybody's talking. You no, know, no, now it's been nominated for best comedy, but. <laughs> But I mean, it was a comedy, but it was it was, you know. But yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a like, new genre, action comedy. <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, I mean, it, it, I mean, it's a, it's an action all, character driven comedy. I like it. Well, I mean, they used to make action comedies in the eighties, yeah. and yeah. then they sort of got very away arch. from it. Yeah, you know, they got yeah. they got so arch that people wanted to get away from it. But but it still I works. I would say TV's going back toward that too, with oh, Castle yeah. and White Collar and Burn Notice, and yeah. absolutely, yeah. So I I think that's great. Well, I'm going to tell you, I mean, from looking at your voice on the screen, I would be very, very excited to hear your voice on television. I think this would be spectacular. So I I look forward now um, uh, to end this. I do want to hear a little bit about your next two projects because those are pretty big projects. So tell me what's going on with them. Um, So we wrote a movie called Battleship. 
based on the game, uh, the board game, as it were. Oh, that's great. Uh, for yeah. uh, Peter Berg mm-hmm. and Universal. Oh, Peter Berg is so talented. He that's is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Pete is um, Pete is a crazy man. Mm-hmm. He's absolutely hilarious, fun, um, manic, difficult, <laughs> but incredibly talented. I mean, I would say most artists have an element. <laughs> <laughs> You tapped on uh, something, a universal quality. But you know, it, it, it was it was sort of the opposite experience from Red, in that Red was sort of our movie that we sort of conceived from one end to the other. And I would say Battleship, although we we've contributed a lot to it, uh, it's it's more Pete's movie than ours because Pete is sort of the kind of guy who likes to sort of experiment and control the writing process. And he'll sort of say, you know what, let's, let's, today let's write another act one. What if it were like this? And so we'll go off and write a whole new act one, you know, and that's fun. And uh, So it's really kind of pieced together in this way. But it's, it's a big movie. It's like a $200 million action adventure. I loved Battleship. I totally played Battleship. And, uh, yeah, that's great. And, you know, you'll see the U.S. Navy doing, you know, and, and all sorts of real hardware and real stuff. And uh, do you have actors attached? Uh, it's it just just finished shooting. Oh, you just finished shooting. Just finished shooting on <laughs> Friday. Yeah. So it's congratulations. In the, uh, so Battleship is in the can, and uh, it's all shot. And who are the leads? Uh, it's uh, not huge actors, but uh, Liam Neeson plays a, a big part. Right. And, uh, Liam Neeson is great. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, it's, that's it, great. Yeah, it's fun. Well, and it's great because then you're giving opportunities to some unknowns. To, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. It, it's a lot. You know, most of the cast is quite young because it's mm-hmm. a bunch of people in the Navy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're going to see a lot of new faces. Great. Um, and uh, that's you'll, exciting. And you'll see for a lot of you guys. A lot yeah. of stuff blowing up. Oh, great! <laughs> right. And now, okay, so that was in the can, so and now when that, will that come out? So that'll be released uh, Memorial Day, 2012. Great. So it's got a long road ahead because there's a lot of special effects and whatnot. Um, we literally just wrapped, and uh, so we're, we're that's that's done. Um, and then we are currently in production on another movie. Which we're shooting right now, called uh, Man on a Ledge. Oh my God! Which is uh, we're shooting in New York, mm-hmm. and this movie is a thriller, mm-hmm. uh, starring Sam Worthington, great, and Elizabeth Banks and Ed Harris. Oh, fantastic um, cast! Yeah, That's it's a great. really it's a fun movie. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not a movie we originated. This mm-hmm. is a movie we've rewritten, um, and it was a spec that sold about ten years ago. And so, what happened in this uh, is basically there was a window with Sam Worthington, and the studio had the script, and they said, we want to make this window, uh, but we have to start shooting in three months from today. So they called us up and said, okay, we've got this script. We really like Act One, and we need a full script uh, like in a month. And, uh, you know, the reason we got the job is because it was the same studio and the same producer as Red, and they trusted us enough to to deliver it during pre-production. See, you're starting to pave the way. No, it's so you know we we, we literally we, we wrote a treatment. Right. This is how we're going to rewrite the movie, and they greenlit it off the treatment, and um, we literally back channeled with our production designer uh, and producers during during prep. So they were built. They were building the sets as we were writing it. How exciting! Yeah. <laughs> so it's been crazy. Oh my gosh, so, that's fantastic. So that was yeah. you know August first, and we started shooting November first. Um, and we've been back and forth to New York uh, constantly doing this film. And it's, it's, it's fun because part of the premise is a man on a ledge 20 floors up in midtown Manhattan uh, threatening to jump. 
and it turns out that it's actually a heist and all sorts of other interesting things. Ah. But in any case, you know, we actually Did you built- see that movie Man on Wire? Oh, yeah. I yeah. love that movie. Yeah. No, Astonishing that's- documentary. Yeah. Yeah. So in any case, so we're shooting that uh, right that's now. exciting. Um, and we wrap in the middle of January. Oh. And then you'll have time to maybe think about. Uh, then, I'll, then, I'll, then I'll maybe try to think about. Yeah, no, I've been, we, we've been working so much for the last two years. I was going to say we, those we are haven't had three a free, films you've mentioned. No, three, within... three films in production in a year. It doesn't get any crazier than that, you know. And we've. What been... are your work hours like? Are those like twelve-hour days? You... Well, I mean, we try to just work Monday through Friday, right. you know. But in practice, the last couple of years, we've been working seven days a week, twelve mm-hmm. hours a day. Wow. Um, so we're looking for the writer's to a life. Time off. I hope you get, yeah, I hope you do get some time off. Me too. This, well, I, I have to say I'm so impressed and so proud of everything that you're doing and, and so thrilled for you. Thank um, you, Jen. I am. <laughs> I mean, to be a working writer in this town and to have a 12 year journey that led up to a point where it's like things are really starting to be on fire right now. It's very exciting. Yeah, it's great for other writers to hear that, to hear that you had 25 features that you've written, to hear the ups and downs of what it took to get here. Um, I, I so appreciate your honesty and openness about all of this. So I want to I, I wanna thank you so much for joining us today and just really divulging so much incredible, valuable information for writers. And I, I cannot wait for the listeners to hear this. Thank you, Jen. It's been my great pleasure. We are here. We are going out with Eric Hober, a co-writer of the hit movie Red and some very exciting upcoming projects. This is Jen Grisanti of StoryWise Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to StoryWise with Jen Grisanti. If you're looking to get to the next step in your career and need a guide who has been there and knows what it takes, go to www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com. On the website, you can also find the latest on writing programs, feature film festivals, and other writing competitions. StoryWise is produced by Joel Metzger and Hot House Bruiser Productions. 